All right. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to The Drip, the podcast where academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, politics, all the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or each other's homes or when we're still each in our own homes, because although we're living closer to each other right now on the Midwest, we are not actually in the same city. I hope that everyone's been staying as safe and healthy as possible in the summer of devastating fires, floods, fucked up air quality, and all the very predictable consequences of climate change, capitalism, colonization, and also pushing back against right sort of our political gaslighting by our leaders who fail to mention any of those things as we're talking about things that we're going through. All right, I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for this show, and I teach in the Educational Studies Department at Carleton College. Crystal. Hi, I'm Crystal Moten. I'm a public historian, museum curator, and writer whose research and interests focus on Black people in the Midwest. Thank you. Todd. My name is Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies in the English department at the University of St. Thomas. Awesome. All right, today we are looking forward to discussing Ama'ata Aidu's novel, Changes. Ama'ata Aidu was a Ghanaian poet, playwright, novelist, and academic who passed away earlier this year in May. She was the Secretary of Education in Ghana from 1982 to 1983, a position that she actually resigned from um, after about 18 months because she realized that she couldn't use that position to achieve her goal of education in Ghana um, being freely accessible to all, so respect for that. A lot of her writing explores the intersections of Ghanaian, African, and Western norms, the changing contacts for women's lives imposing the bed in Ghana, and the tensions between nationalism and feminism. The novel Changes, which we're going to be discussing today, and I think actually speaks to all of those themes, uh, was initially published in 1991, and it won the 1992 Commonwealth Prize for Literature in Africa. So before we begin, spoiler alert, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we discuss everything. As you know, or as you should know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. And I don't know that I would say that this book necessarily has, like, huge mysteries, but, you know, (laughs) I think one of the things we wanted to bring up and one of the things I think we all been thinking about is just that we want to kind of puzzle, you know, we were sort of puzzled, right, by some of the sort of things that happened in the novel. And we actually wanted to start with, so the official title, right, of the book is actually changes a love story. So I think uh, we wanted to start off by kind of thinking about what kind of a love story is this novel? Like what kinds of love are we talking about? And she actually, the author actually starts the book with this like interesting epigraph where she says, several years ago when I was a little older than I am now, also interesting way to frame it, I said in a published interview that I could never write about lovers in Accra because surely in our environment there are more important things to write about. Working on the story then was an exercise in words eating. Because it is a slice from the life and loves of a somewhat privileged young woman and other fictional characters in Accra. And then I thought this was also fun, interesting. She says, she finishes it by saying, it's not meant to be a contribution to any debate, how recurrent. Obviously not true. I think we're going to have a lot of debates about kind of like, you know, everybody's motivation and sort of what was happening. But yeah, I guess when you all sort of read that title or were you kind of thinking about going into this novel as a being a love story how did that kind of play out for you as you read the novel yeah I can I can start because I think what I did erroneously was equate love with romance in this in in especially kind of the romance genre not in terms of sex and sexuality and things like that but in terms of the happy endings that typically the characters encounter well some happy endings that characters encounter in kind of the romance genre. And so I came to the book expecting to be like, oh, love story swept off her feet. You know, and so like having these very, I don't know, it just wasn't that. Um, But that's what I had in my mind, I think, in terms of whatever the novel was going to be and that probably Eurocentric and, you know, all of these things in terms of understanding what love is and could be but I just I just expected the story to both turn out in a different way than it did um, and I expected the love 
to be a little more consistent throughout. Um, I think in the quote unquote romance that I was expecting, like usually there's a struggle. There's a little bit of like back and forth. Do they love each other? Are they going to be together? Then they're together. And then you have the happily ever after. And to me, it just felt like this was just struggle, struggle. It was that struggle love. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, uh, that's not what I was expecting. So um, if I can piggyback, like, yeah, it seems to me like maybe they're, there's a I don't know if she's playing with this that you know the phrase a love story but like there's a way of thinking about like a kind of subgenre that's a love story that has certain attributes that you just described right yes um, as opposed to it being a story about love right right and I think it's definitely that which doesn't mean that it's right. it's in the framework of a love story as we sometimes expect it to be yeah in fact it it contains within it, it, I think, a lot like this kind of um, conversation or trying to figure out what love even means. Yeah. And I'm just remembering, like, I can't remember when this happens, but she, I think she's having, um, Essie has a conversation with her mother, maybe, where her mother basically is saying, like, love, what are you talking about? Like, not only right. that, you know, love is something that women don't really get to consider in especially marriage relationships, but that love is, like, dangerous. Like, if you if you rely on love to guide you, you're going to get yourself into trouble, you know? And, I mean, it's... I suppose there are ways that that turns out to be the case in this book sometimes. Um, yeah. 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 The subtitle could have been like, and it could have been, it could have been, the book could have been titled Changes, a commentary on love. I mean, like mm-hmm. that's not interesting though for a, a book title, but that's what I felt it was more. So yeah, that's why I wonder if she's just playing yeah. with us a little yeah. bit, right. you know, trying right. to draw people in <laughs> right. who might not read that other book. They would right. read this book with this subtitle, you know, title. right. Mm-hmm. Which is so yeah, and I don't know if it's just because I know some of her work. Like, I didn't even think about, it, like, the romance genre. When, and, like, so that makes sense to me. That it's, like, a very different, like, I definitely wasn't expecting it to be that. But I also think that, I mean, I think it's, like, interesting to think about a love story because I think of it as, like, this is Essie kind of figuring out love, right, for her own self. And, like, what does it need to be this, like, professional woman in Ghana? And how do we, how do you, like, negotiate all these, like, demands on yourself and how do you find answers that maybe are different than like what her mom would have said and uh, actually it was her grandma Todd and I think this is on page Mm. 42 um, at least in my version and you know so she says they're kind of talking about um, so it starts with like and the grandma says Essie we know that we all married to have children and then Essie says but no no that's such an old and worn out idea children can be born to be people who are not married Sure, sure. But to help them grow up well, children need homes with walls, roof, fire, pots. And then Essie's still like, yeah, but one person could provide all these things these days for a growing child. Her grandma's like, okay, maybe, yes, yes, my lady. (laughs) But we also may increase the number of people with whom we can share the joys and pains of this life. Essie says, no, no, but how about love? Love. Love. Love is not safe, my lady self. Love is dangerous. It is deceitfully sweet like the wine from a fresh palm tree at dawn. Love is mine for singing about and love songs are good to listen to, sometimes even dance to. But when we need to count on human strength and when we need to count pennies for our food, for our stomachs and clothes for our bags, love is nothing. Ah, my lady, the last man any woman should think of marrying is the man she loves. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That silenced us, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, because I was, I mean, as you were reading that, I was also going back and thinking, you know, after I finished the book, I was, I had my immediate reaction. And then I've kind of been just thinking about the book ever since then. And I think now I've come to the conclusion that, again, like rethinking the subtitle of the book, you know, changes a self-love story. Because that's, that's, that's what I feel like I am left with, that Essie, she is, she's trying to love and choose herself in an environment where and in a a culture and a context where women are not expected to do so and expected to actually choose themselves last and so when I think about that in terms of a love story that's where I get like it's it's this this story about you know choosing and loving yourself um, no matter what those consequences are and then also loving yourself through those consequences and so then I began to see, okay, this is a love story, but I had to kind of reorient my mind around who's experiencing lo- the love. But then I also thought about, you know, it's not about kind of 
you know, human love or self-love, but also Essie's decision to choose her career, Perfect. right? As a um as a form of like self-love. Like I'm gonna choose choose my career and then what what are the consequences and what happens as a result of that. So Right. And I feel like it's complicated because like Essie does want romance or love and like good right. sex, right? And I think I was thinking about how, you know, like with Oko. It was that, I mean, A, he raped her, so there's that. And then, two, there's the idea that he wanted too much of her time. And then I think with, like, Ali, it was like he wanted too little of her time. So I'm kind of like, well, she has a right to be like, actually, I want, like, right? Like, I want, like, this level of, like, care and this level of demand on my life and my love. And, like, I deserve to have that. But it's, like, hard for her to have that within, it seems like, right, within the structures of love that are, like, available right now. Right. For her and like the society that's like possible. Cause I think it was like interesting to, so she's not like self love and I'm just going to be happy with, you know, like, yes, right. Like she was like happy to like have the freedom to like work however long she wanted to like bring homework if she wanted and all of that. But that wasn't enough, right? Like, there's, right. like a reason for why she decided to like, you know, be with Ali and like kind of have that. Um, so I was thinking about that, right. Cause initially it was kind of like, yeah, like it's interesting to me that. It's, not, you know, like, but she is lonely and she does want that companionship. But I feel like that's like the problem, right? Because I kind of feel like a lot of the choices that not just Essie, but I think like a lot of women, right? like, like we, you know, it's sort of like we want this like particular level of like both like caretaking responsibilities for us to have, but also like for our partner to have. And that's sometimes hard to like find that balance. Can we, um, I mean, you, you hit on this a little bit, Anita, but I mean, I think like, to ask or to think about whether or not Essie can really have what she wants within this particular context, this cultural context, this, this, I mean, what is basically like a, it's a patriarchal sort of system mm-hmm. in which mm-hmm. men get to have whatever they want and women get to have what is available to them. And so, you know, like you mentioned that um, with, with Oko, she feels that he wants too much of her. And won't let her be herself or have her own space. And with Ali, at first it seems perfect, right? I mean, like, it's sort of perfect. He, he, like, Ali is, like, he's handsome. He's successful. He is good in the bed. They seem to have a good, yeah, good rapport there. Chemistry, yeah. Chemistry, (laughs) right? Um, He's loving and gives her things and all this kind of stuff, attention, blah, 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 blah. But eventually that starts to kind of like wither yeah. away. And so then that's the point when she becomes unhappy and, and she feels like she deserves the things that she's not getting. Right. Like, which I think is totally reasonable. Right. But I think, yeah, the question in the, well, maybe the question I'm sort of working towards is at the end of the book. Do you think that she's happy? I mean, she basically they settle on or she settles on what the situation can be is possible for her as a second wife and about to be the second of three probably right or perhaps more yeah and but is she happy or does is she just like well i guess this will have to do or this will have to be what i what i have because that's all i can have i read it the latter that it was kind of because like the very last paragraph right like the paragraph right before she says like um blah 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 like as he believed ali when he insisted that he loved her very much she knew it was true that he loved her in his own fashion. What she became certain of was that his fashion of loving had proved quite inadequate for her. So what fashion of loving was she ever going to consider adequate? She confirmed herself that maybe her bone, blood, flesh, self, not her unsown soul, would get answers to some of the big questions she was asking of life. Yes, maybe. One day, one day, as a high life singer had sung on an unusually warm and not so dark night. I mean, I kind of feel like that to me was kind of like she's sort of like she, it's not adequate, right? Like what she has with Ali and what she like ends up with. And she's but still she's searching also like, for something. She's still searching. Yeah. Kind of how I read yeah. It. So my question is, can she find it? I mean, can she actually find it? I mean, is it isn't the not among any of the men who were featured in this book, yeah. but you know, across a big city. I mean, wouldn't it have to be like a man who is somehow out, um, outside of that system somehow or is able to like operate? Because it just seems to me like one of the things that we see in the book is how how plugged in they are to the traditions of the community and their families and their right. religious practices and everything. Like they can't even get married without permission 
from the families and we see how complicated that is you don't just show up and be like hey i want can i have your daughter's hand and you know you gotta bring people with you gotta prove yourself you gotta give gifts and the women don't even really seem to have much of a of a say in any of it and as even as much as it's you know somewhat ceremonial i guess it still is a thing that has to be done that sort of limits the choices or determines in some ways the choices of adult people so i guess i'm just wondering like is she this search that she's on even at the end of the book is it going to be a search which doesn't yield any results or satisfying results well i mean because i i think key that the key though is the question that she asks herself and so what fashion of loving was she ever going to consider adequate like i think if she can find an answer for herself to that question I don't think it's going to necessarily change the men or the cultural context, but it, it will change what she considered. Like it would, she will be able to define what is adequate and mm-hmm. what's yeah. adequate for her could be that she, re- that she either one resigns herself to be within that cultural context in which she's in and that becomes okay. Or that she's not okay with that and tries to figure something else out. But I think she first has to decide what she wants. And I think that's the, that we see her grappling with that question. Um, like she thinks she knows what she wants. She she is in a relationship where she thought this is what she wanted, then it kind of changed. And, you know, and so I think she needs to grapple more with what does she really want in the context of where she is. But I think the difficulty with that is, as you were saying, Todd, that like, what if when it comes down to it, what she wants is actually not possible in that context? Then what will she do? And I think for a lot of women, the answer becomes, well, you know, I'll either acquiesce to the cultural context and try to like make my way within that, or I just won't, you know, I'll end up carving out a different life for myself outside of that cultural context and living with that, whatever that happens to be. Um, And for Essie, I don't know like what she is going to end up choosing. Um, It seems like everybody is telling her to just like you got this good thing. I mean, I, I right. think like one of the most heartbreaking aspects of the novel is that you know she doesn't really tell anyone that Oko raped her. Um, that I can remember throughout the novel, and she and people are constantly being like, "He's so great. Why would you leave yeah. him?" Like even her friend is saying that, and it's kind of like you know I think to the point where. Um, Essie's like, does she like him or something? Like right. maybe you sh- maybe we should just get with him or something, you know? Um, yeah. And I I you know it, it, I thought too about is it Opakuyu Kuya, her best friend Opakuya, who yeah. seems to like have a a pretty good marriage going, but maybe maybe yeah, but right. I mean, there's this thing about the car, right? And, uh-huh. and, and, well, he, and that he takes advantage of essie at the end well right yeah. right yeah but right. i was gonna i was gonna get to that i, I think like the car Boy, to me <laughs> i think the car is like when she gets when Obakuya gets the car she's yeah. like "Woo, i'm out of here right, and she's right, just right, driving right, right, right. driving driving right right and at the same time her husband is trying to put the moves on essie um and you know thank i was thank god she did not do that that, and she realizes in that moment, Essie's like, my friendship with my friend is way more important than anything right. that can come of this, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. just repeating something yeah. that's already happened, right? You know? Right, right, But thinking, right. like, that's yet another, like, terrible encounter with a man that she doesn't get to talk about with anybody, right? Because she right. can't, yeah. like, talk about it. So, right? So, it's like both of right. those, yeah. like, right, sort of things that... It's like, not, like, o- yeah, not only can she not talk about it, if she talked about it, people would tell her that it didn't happen. Like, you know, <laughs> because... <laughs> I don't even think he thought that's what he did. Oko or Kubi? Um, Oko. The husband. No, yeah. no, and I'm sorry, her ex husband. Yeah, ex husband. Oko. Yeah. I don't think he didn't he didn't see it as violating her. He saw it as I mean, he did think that it was like maybe not what he should have done, right? But it is this because they talk about it as like what do they call it? Like the incident. So he knows he did something but now that was because, like not wrong. Right. But because she not because he actively while he was doing it, he thought he was doing something Dude. wrong. It was because of her reaction, reaction that he was like, oh, okay. I did something wrong. You know? Got it, got it. Um, yeah, it was so interesting. Like, when I was reading that happening, I was, I, you know, my first thought, obviously, was, like, marital rape, and that she yes. describes it as such to herself, right? So, and it was yes. like, yeah, so I was like, okay, yes. thanks for naming and, that, but you're right, but she doesn't talk about it. 
No, no. And even as he's doing it, he's he, raping her. He's just like, I'm just being with my wife. I mean, you know, and right. so even right. like, even in that context, like her her speaking it would have caused another layer of trauma, like another, yeah. you know, because she would have then had just to be, denied it. Yeah. And then culturally, I don't I'm not sure what the response would have been in terms of. I mean, judging know, from the conversation station. she has with other people in the family, right. it doesn't seem like they'd be too yeah. sympathetic. sympathetic. Yeah. And I guess I want to maybe pick at this notion of like cultural context and like what cultural context we're talking about. Like obviously the story said in Ghana, you know, and there are sort of these like allusions to like colonialism and to the Western ways of doing things. But I was thinking about when you were saying, Crystal, this idea of like, okay, when women do figure out what they want, it's like they know for themselves what they want, but that doesn't mean that they're going to find the situation or the like partner that they could like actually have that situation with. And I'm like, that describes like so many women I know in the US context, right? <laughs> so I was just kind of like, you know, so just thinking about how like that kind of um, assertion of right a woman's desire and a woman's like uh, notions of like equality in a partnership or equity, you know, what how do we want to think about it? Right, all these things. I'm like that is true in like this, you know, 1990s Ghana, Accra, but also true in like 2023 at the U.S. and Minneapolis. Right, like I think about so many of the women I know who are like highly accomplished or like in partnerships with men where. They like do so much more of the care work and they do so much more of the right. And and these are like, whatever, right? Progressive men. It's not that they don't do anything. But I was also yeah. thinking about this idea that like in each relationship, Essie is like not necessarily learning what she wants. She's learning what she doesn't want, right? She's like knows that like with Oko, she doesn't want a partner who's like taking up so much of her time. And with Ali, she learns that she wants a partner who is actually more in her life, right? Than like he is. So I feel like maybe it's like partly around like you need some like right like this idea of like imagination you need to be able to see something of an alternative to be able to then say like this is what i want but i feel yeah. like through her experiences i feel like she's coming to understand what she doesn't want but i think that flip of like what it is that you actually want is actually like a harder thing to like right. decide on yeah especially when you don't really have a model for what that right. is or exactly. could be right yeah yeah that's a great point because I, I feel like can, none of oh yeah go ahead no go ahead go ahead Anita. I was just gonna say because like all the women in her life even like you know kind of Okukuyo who I feel like is also like feminist in her own sense right and trying to figure out like her own life with the like the structures that are available to her there's like things that she can't like tell her right but there's also like there's a moment when like she's with Ali and things aren't going well and they like run into each other and Okukuyo wants to say something about like the sadness that she sees in like Essie's eyes but then she's like kind of like holds back right and doesn't say right. that and just says like oh you're wearing this really beautiful thing it looks really good on you um so it's just thinking about like right like even like her who i feel and they're like such close friends that they do talk about a lot of things but even there like there's this like hesitance to like bring up like difficult things right to bring up the things that, that are not working and i'm like that's so hard right and like Sweet i feel babe. that sometimes right with like sometimes I sort of say stuff about my friend's partners but i don't because i'm like <laughs> you know like, I don't know that they want to talk about it. I don't know that, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe just being in a hetero relationship is always just a certain level of denial about, like, what you want right? as a woman. Just because it's like, right, because there are no, like, some, like, magical, like, alternative or magical possibilities of, like, having, finding somebody um, that's going to, like, fulfill all these, like, needs that you have for yourself. Oh, we get, we get. <laughs> <laughs> it got, got kind of deep there. What do you have I mean. to say, Todd? <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I guess I was going to, what I, well, I'm a, I want to respond to what you just said, because I think that's, I mean, that's a powerful comment. And I think, you know, like the nature of relationships, whether it's, you know, whoever it's with, if it's two, let's just, I'll stick with two people right now. You always have to have compromise in order to make it work, right? Like you can't have everything that you want or you can't have it exactly the way you want it. And I think like, as if relationships get better, they get better over time because people come to sort of recognize what the other person wants and how they could give them that and what they want and how the other person could provide them that and like how to talk to each other about these things. I mean, there's, I just think like there's so much that is involved with understanding each other and learning that over time. And definitely what we see in this book is not a lot of conversation within relationships 
especially on the part of the men, because it doesn't seem to them like that's even something they should have to do. Right. Yeah. Like there's this assumption that like whatever I want is how it's going to be. And if I, you know, if she's unhappy, I'll just get her a bunch of stuff or like all these sort of like, and again, like you said before, this is what I originally wanted to say, Nita, is that you said before, wow, this doesn't seem a lot different from things that I hear people that I know saying today. And it reminded me of on 107 also is where the old women, when they were talking to SC, basically say, this is at the end of that um, chapter, the older women felt bad. So an understanding that had never existed between them was now born. It was a man's world. You only survived if you knew how to live in it as a woman. What shocked the older women, though, uh, was obviously how little had changed for their daughters, school and all. So this this realization that like things aren't really that different for the quote unquote modern woman in this modern context. I mean, this is 1993 ish. And then like you could ask yourself, like in, tw- in 2023, how much different is it? Is it still a man's world? Is it still women having to sort of figure out how to exist within this patriarchal society? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a man saying that, but I will be curious what you all have to say about that. I mean, yeah, no doubt, it's still a man's world. Um, <laughs> I don't know what, what's that look, Anita? <laughs> we co-sign your thought about. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was thinking though that I think. I was thinking about how, you know, we were saying that, like, for FC, there are no models, right? How to do things differently. I do think that I think men don't have a lot of models either, right? Like, I I will say that maybe, like, the difference between 1992 and, like, 2023 is that I, like, I hear my right male friends, like, talk about wanting to think about things differently and wanting to do differently. It's just they don't. Uh, but, also, <laughs> but I also feel like maybe they don't because they don't know how to. And I was thinking about this, like, you know, it's like I was at I was at a retreat with some of my comrades, and it was just like there's just like such like things that were like socialized differently because of gender, right? So there were like a bunch of kids at this place, like you know, like whatever. I, I don't I don't parent any children, but like when a child would come into the kitchen and like I was the only adult there, I would be like, hey, do you need anything? You know, do you like just checking in on them, right? And I feel like the men, you know, one of the men had like his own kids there, like he would take care of them, but he never did that to like another child, ta- like another person's child, right? He never like. And it was just these like small things like that, right? Or like, you know, when we're all hanging out and like a woman would like get up to go get a drink for her herself, she would always say, hey, like, does anybody else want anything? Right. So again, like these seem like tiny things, but I was just like this idea of like we're like socializing these ways of like paying attention in the world, right? Which is also kind of conditioned to care, which is actually one of the things I appreciate about this book was like, as he's like kind of like ambivalence about her child right and like maybe not even ambivalence right because like, at one point basically Oko's mom like we're gonna take the child and as he's kind of like oh okay. sad but okay <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I actually really appreciated that because I'm like yeah right like why should for any reason right a mom care more about a kid than like the dad should right like why should it be the mom who's like torn apart because her kid's not with her all the time like right and I was just like I kind of did appreciate that like kind of maybe a little bit more subtle pushback against these ideas of like what a woman should care about and how she should care about like her maternal responsibilities or her maternal um, instincts or whatever it is. And I did like really like that because I think that it sort of becomes this norm, right? That like women do this kind of care work because we're like socialized into it. Um, And it's like, you know, and like in uh, like kind of at the retreat, like a couple of times we like would point that out. But obviously the men that don't you know, in the weekend couldn't like change that, right? They couldn't suddenly start paying attention to these things that like they've never been socialized to or rewarded for like paying attention to. So I think that I feel like maybe the difference is that I think like sometimes men these days do want to change is that that they're not like, they don't, A, they don't have the incentive to really maybe change. Uh, <laughs> right? And then two, like maybe they don't have models, right? That like, yeah, about how to change. And then three, they're not punished if they don't do something, right? And so, because I think, yeah, uh, women are conditioned to care, and we were punished if we don't. And so, even if you, you know, were in a situation where you know maybe you didn't want to care, you're still forced to because you know you're gonna get in trouble if you don't in some way. And I think that was the other part of this book that I think. um was really important, right? For what it's like you said, Alina, what it shows us about the possibilities for for motherhood, right? And that, you know, all mothers are not all motherhood is not gonna look the same or parenthood is not gonna look the same 
on everyone, right? And and that's really okay. But again, I think a continuity between then and now is that you still have the parenthood police where there are expectations for how you need to take care of and nurture your children. And if you don't do that, then you're not a good parent or, you know, for, for women, you're not a good mother or caretaker. And that can have really, really harsh repercussions um, for, for folks, right? For not, for, for falling outside of the ways in which society says you should and it should not parent. Um, I also think about, yeah, I'll just stop there because this other thought is not as fully formed. So, yeah. Do you think just what you were saying, Crystal, that the criticism about parenting falls 99% on women, right? Like, I can't remember the last time I heard someone complaining about how someone was parenting and they were talking about a father, unless it had to do with like discipline mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Usually, mm-hmm. if they're like, man, these kids run around here, the next thing out of their mouth is, you know, their mother should do something about right. it. You know, right, you know what I'm right. Saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you I, don't got no right. home training in there, but who is responsible <laughs> for the home? Mm-hmm. And I think it's like also kind of thinking about the, not the punishment part, but it's like the the flip of it, right? Because I feel like, you know, like my brother is like a fairly involved dad, but I feel like that gets noticed and praised yes. all the time. The time. Right? Versus my sister-in-law doing the same thing, but it's just like taken for granted that she does that, right? So it's like, exactly. sure. My brother changed five diapers and so did my sister-in-law, but my brother got praised like 20 times for changing those five diapers, right? And everyone's like, oh, look at him. He's such a good dad. He's like, exactly. you know, doing kind of like what, and is it true? Like, yeah, like my dad changed zero diapers. So like, yeah, sorry, I'm not saying that my brother isn't doing something different, but it's like, it's not any different, right? Than like the caretaking that women and moms have done. Right. Ever, right. And it's right. just like, but right. it's like noticed, right? Because it's like, there's like all this literature and like education, for example, that right when like a dad shows up for a school teacher conference like that's like read by teachers or mostly women which is interesting right as like this kid has like a lot of support at home versus like when moms show up but that's just like taken for granted right it kind of so i think it's like interesting to think about you know it also was like thinking about like your the notion of stigma right like the stigma that i feel like families headed by single moms have versus like families headed by single dads right right i think there's like not the same kind of like stigma or shame or right sort of the way in which we talk about what mm-hmm. that means right because mm-hmm. even though you could talk about you know there's like lots of reasons for why family households might struggle more in terms of like being able to like support children right that's just like one less adult or you know whatever but it's like that's not talked about in the same way depending on the gender of the parents yeah i i did want to go back to um to essie's friend um okapunya yes and i want to talk Oko- about yeah. that car because yeah. I think that <laughs> Let's car, talk about that car. That car. And, and, and you know, not the one that Essie gives to her. The one, oh, the that, one that they share. That No, it's share. not sharing. They don't share it. Because he won't let her drive it. Mm-hmm. He right. won't let her drive it even when he's just going to take it to work and park it all day. And, you know, I was angry at that from the beginning. But then I get even more angry when he makes a move on Essie because then I, I it, it, it confirms my suspicion that that his refusal to let her use the car is is more about his making sure that she is not independent than her actually being able to use the car. And I, I mean, yes, the car the car is a metaphor for all of that. Um, but I realized that in her in his trying to kind of be with Essie, that's like this car is just like a symptom of a broader problem. Not only, I don't think only within their marriage, but within broader society about trying to control women's movement and independence and make it really hard for them to to assert that and to be autonomous. And so I had already read all of that into the car, but by the I, end, I was just like convinced. <laughs> no, and I think you could add the, the other car. So Essie's car, remember from the very beginning, is like, it's like it barely gets it's like her. Not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sputtering all the time and barely gets her anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, you know, she doesn't have the mobility or freedom that she wants, even though she has this car. It's always hampered by mm-hmm. the fact that the car won't work very well. And it's not until he gives her the new car. That's when she really starts to think like, Mm, this is that's when she starts to complain. Yeah, is right after he gives her the new car, and she's you know she she can go anywhere she wants. She can she thinks about this like there's a couple scenes where she's like, where should I drive now? Right, I could drive to the to the village, or I should yep. could drive over here. Yeah. I could do this, and that's when she's thinking about possibilities that are 
not encumbered by anyone. They're not encumbered by this car being jacked up. That's when she starts to consider possibilities in her life that she wants more, right? And I think it's like when she gives Opakuya the car, Actually, they she sells it to her, so she doesn't right. have to be. Because yeah. Opakuya insisted. Yeah, she yeah. insisted. Yeah. But yeah, before yeah. she gives it to her, she takes it and has it fixed up for her. Yes. Because yeah. she doesn't want to give her the broken car. And she yeah. gives her a car that's fixed up. It's been painted. Yeah. So it's in really good condition. And Opakuya mm -hmm. gets that car and she just goes driving. Yeah. She drives, right? So mm -hmm. she her friend gives her a kind of freedom that she also was wanting. Yes. You know, because her friend had been there to support her while she was going through all this, right? Right. And I think that's like a really poignant moment of two women sharing some kind of empowerment together. Which is also interesting because I was thinking about, right, like when um, Essie tells Opakuya about getting that new car from um, Ali, it's like that, it's like what a rare moment of like jealousy and sort of envy from like Opakuya. Cause I was, so I was thinking like more broadly, right? Like how the men not only like sort of make life like individually miserable for these women, but also like get in the way of them being able to like build this like friendship in like so many different ways, right? Cause yeah. it's like, you know, like Kubi's first like defending Oko and like there's all that tension in terms of like what Opakuya could actually say, right? In front of her friend, in front of like Effie to like support her. But then there's like, you know, there's the car, but then there's obviously like also Kubi's like, you know, almost raping Essie. So it's like all these ways in which they kind of like actually, because and then that's why like Essie eventually stops, right? She kind of is like, hold on, like, what am I doing, right? Like right. my friendship with like Okupia is actually like the one like stabilizing, like long lasting kind of like thing that she can count on. And here was this guy like almost like ruining that, right? And he kind of does ruin that even because now she can't say anything, right? Even though quote unquote like nothing happened like she can't like say something and that's I can't imagine that that's not always going to be in mm -hmm. the back of her mind right that's and right. like I'm like how is she going to go over and hang out with them at, like Christmas or New Year's knowing that this is what happens and I just feel like this is just like another thing that like the men screwed up right like their friendship and like their um yeah that thing but I guess I wanted to stick to the theme of the car but also maybe kind of think about like, what was that gesture about with Ali, right? Because I was like, I think one of the questions you asked, Crystal, was like, why did he propose marriage? But also, like, why did Essie accept, right? Like, why did she decide that that was, like, where she wanted to take her relationship? Because in some ways, I think, like, before they got married, it was kind of like this perfect relationship, right? Like, Ali was there all the time, but, like, not not too much, right? Because he was, like, still had his home and his family, and he was still, like, giving her gifts. He was still, like... Right. You know, kind of, you know, doing these things that she enjoyed. And I feel like things actually kind of fall apart after they get married. So it's kind of curious, like, what we thought about. I mean, I mean maybe we understand why he proposed it, but maybe why do we think she accepted it? Well, I mean, isn't there, it seems like there's a lot of pressure to be married, especially for women within this particular context, right? Um, From the uh, re relatives, you know, like, I don't know to be there's all this sort of comments about unmarried women above a certain age and i think if essie has this vision of herself it includes marriage you know it includes this kind of like ideal that she is being shown to her and that she imagines you know so i think it's partially that right and i think maybe that's why you know for for ali it's about respectability like he, but he has this option available to him, right? Which is that he could have right. more than one wife, right? And so let's make this, let's do this the right way, right? Like, like that's kind of like what he's, <laughs> like what he's, what he's thinking when he makes this uh, mm -hmm. proposition to her, right? Yeah. Even though he's clearly also just having lots of affairs potentially, right? Was like, well, that was like that I was kind of so. was hinted, right? When he's like driving his quote unquote driving his secretary home right? yeah like, but it's I pretty obvious like, like that to me it's totally acceptable i mean even you know the grandmothers and the aunties or whatever are like if you if, if one of the women says you know my husband's having an affair they're like yeah that's that's part of it you know like right but like if you're like one of the right yeah, but if right. you're a woman like having an affair you're a whore right you're you know you're uh, marginalized you know you're out you know so right i think that essie wants to have love and she wants to have uh sexual pleasure and desire and all that kind of stuff and maybe she can only sort of imagine it legitimately within the framework of marriage but maybe that's not exactly how she is thinking at the end of the book yeah i feel like it was kind of a surprise to her when like ali like proposes to her right and i was trying to remember like what exactly 
she was like going through and i feel like i was trying to remember like what the sorry i was like what is he because it's kind of like it kind of seemed to come out of nowhere right yeah. i don't think they'd like talked about it and i don't think they had like like really sort of been like you know thinking about it and then he like proposed but he was just like it's ready like i'm ready so i'm gonna like just do this thing and i guess she was kind of like okay <laughs> you know? i was just like okay but i was thinking about how for him it was like all about in some ways like she was like a conquest right she was like he wanted her and he gets her but he wants her in this like particular way but i was also thinking about his like his whole thing about like bringing her these like elaborate gifts and these like beautiful things and that was like his way of like trying to like put unquote keep her right but that wasn't i mean i don't think she was like she kept the car she kept the stuff so which i'm also like good for you like you know that's fine like we don't have to be like purists about it right <laughs> it's like you know it's like they only want love i um, but like clearly that's not what she wanted but I was kind of like he doesn't care he has this way of think, like of showing love and he thinks like that's what the women in his life want mm-hmm. because like to him like that's like what a man does right like a man like has multiple wives and then, like gives these gifts and like to him that's like enough right and it's like and I was like maybe the like the thrill of like chasing Essie and like the thrill of like wooing her was like interesting to him but once she said yes and once she's like you know, kind of his, like, he doesn't she's care. Not, she's not new anymore. Right. You know, yeah. And so I was just like, He's man. busy. He's busy <laughs> right? all over the world now. Because I feel like initially he comes off as this, like, interesting, you know, I mean, well, I guess before, you know, we find out about his relationship with Cassandra, which is also complicated, right? Because it's like, I don't think she ever actually consents to no, not really. hearing Essie. Not really. Right? And it's and very painful really for her, right? Her, right, right. I mean, he goes, the first woman he goes for is the woman who has education, which he denied to her, right? Right, Mm -hmm. right. So it's like all that in terms of like his relationship with her. But like, even though she had consented, like, I feel like a lot of it for him, it was just like the ability to like acquire Essie's love and to like acquire her as a wife, more so than like, I really want this person in my life. And like, she brings something in my life that I don't have or whatever it is, right? How we want to think about polyamorous relationships, because I think there's, there's, reasons for why people might want to be with more than one person and that's not you know that's fine right like there's like lots of cultures lots of traditions where that's like the you know that's that's the case but i was just like yeah for him it just seemed like he literally just lost interest when she like said yes and she got married and they went through this like whole like months long seems like ritual of like actually doing the things the quote unquote the right way and then he's like ah okay i'm done moving on Mm-hmm. I was like, what yeah, an asshole. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, I, it was, it, it was kind of thinking about his motivation was really um, difficult for me because at the beginning of the book, I don't know what pages you all have, but um, page 75, we for once kind of get Ollie's rationalizations for being with Essie. And so he's like, being with Essie was altogether a change for Ollie for a number of other reasons too. Um, and so he would, so, and this is before he decides that he wants to marry, but he wanted to be, he wanted to have a place to be with a woman who was not his wife. Um, she could cook, you know, they had chemistry, but we don't kind of get anything deeper than that. And so to me, I'm still left with the like, why did you need to marry her? You know? And so I don't feel like that, that question is sufficiently answered except for just thinking about, you know, again, this, um, this religious context in which they're in, in which, you know, it's okay for a a man to have multiple wives. And if you're sleeping with a woman, then perhaps you should be married to her. Um, But that, I mean, that's all I'm getting in terms of his um, motivations. Isn't he kind of just thinking that it makes it easier? Right. I mean, it just makes it more comfortable and easier. Yes, for him. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing for her. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, we got to, I can go to her house. We don't have to like find a place to have sex or whatever. Exactly. And we'll develop a little bit of a relationship. So it's not like I have to just have sex with a young girl who we have nothing to talk about or whatever, you know. And she puts on my belly go be full too. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a win win for him. But I also feel like he was like, giving himself credit because he's like i'm not like all these other men who want young virgins like i'm so cool like i want these like mature women you know i'm so awesome but i was also thinking maybe the marriage proposal (laughs) comes where remember he was supposed to like go to her place and he doesn't show up and it's like he doesn't show up till weeks later or something like that and like she was kind of like pissed off about that so i was kind Uh of thinking you know sort of like his way of like maybe assuring 
her, right? That he is like in it without actually having to be in it. Uh, right? It was like this like symbol or this like, yeah, it's like symbol of like his commitment, right? Because I his, feel like they were like- His commitment, yeah. that's a question. His right. commitment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, because I think that's what that happens, right? Because it's like he's away and then he comes back. And like instead of like having a conversation, he's like, let's just make love, you know? <laughs> like maybe he's like maybe that's only gonna like satisfy her for so long <laughs> i mean you gotta you gotta have you gotta talk right like you gotta have like some other kind of aspect of the relationship to go long term i mean it seems like to me i don't no, know from experience what if the way ollie communicates are, are these grand gestures right? right and so a grand right. gesture to him is substitution for the talk that they actually really needed to have um you know and so it's the ring the car the series of gifts from travel it's like here let me just throw this gift into the air and they, then that'll be the conversation they don't share the same love language that's what it is <laughs> his love language is giving oh, you shit be- I think like I'll take the gifts, which I was like, yes, girl, take the gifts. But the that's car. not that's not her love language though. She doesn't necessarily feel the love no. from that, right? Exactly. But I also feel like maybe this yes. is another thing around socialization too, right? Because you know, Crystal, you were like, it's like unclear why Ollie wanted to marry like her specifically, right? But I think like I don't think he knows. I don't think he's like thought about it that deeply. I don't think he's like a dude who's like sits down at the end of the day that's like, let me reflect on. Right, like the women in my life. And I like... was trying to give him more than that. I was trying to develop his character a little bit more. Don't you think, though? I mean, Essie is interesting to him. Like the first conversation that they have, you know, it's kind of like there's a little pithy little thing going on there. Little and banter. She's, yeah, a little banter. She's not. She's she's like maybe more. I think there's a way, the, the way that she um, reads more modern to him and therefore more interesting, more... Yeah, you but know. the whole reason why his wife is not that is because he kept her from being that. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. But now he gets to have both kinds of wives, right. right? Exactly. And he can have another kind of wife if he wants to. And he, yeah, because, right, he's right. because he's a man. Because he's a man. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, Todd, to go back to your question, that it's still a man's world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly what I was asking, but yes. <laughs> I knew the answer to that part. Oh my God. But you know, I think like, I was just going to say, like, I just want to go back to something that you were saying earlier, Nita, and I think that it's important to think about why this continues. And I think what you said is really important because w- within the structure of patriarchy, is the reward for patriarchy. And so that makes it so that it's very difficult to like progress like in any way towards a different way of being because it's like reinforces itself all the time, right? Right. And so as you said, you know, there there might be a I, I bet there's a moment in this novel, you know, if I'm sort of in the mind of Ali where he's like, Man, I am progressive, like I am modern, like I am maybe he doesn't have this word of feminist, but I think he probably like sort of thinks that about himself when he is in fact reinforcing everything that exploits and traps and limits women's, you know, experience, right? So, and he's being rewarded for it because he gets whatever he wants, right? And so I think even in the end, like the, when relationships fall apart, when the um, divorces happen, et cetera, it's the women who get punished and not the men. The men like uh, Oko is angry, but I don't think we get any sense like that his life is you know destroyed or anything. Right. Yeah, right. No, I'm still thinking about Oko, right? Because I feel like in a way, like I feel like when we were, I assumed that all three of us were meeting and we're like, oh my god, I can't believe you did that to Essie. But like in the novel, like nobody like you know, I mean, she doesn't tell him about that. But even just like what she's describing of like how he's like taking up like so much of her air, right? Like nobody's sympathetic to that. Right, like mm-hmm. everybody's sympathetic to Oko. Like even Okapuyo is like, I mean, he's not, he's like pretty <laughs> not bad, that right? Bad. But like right. exactly, and I feel like that just becomes this like, and that's how like also right, like structure gets maintained because it's like even like any particular, you know, like men being human, decent human beings to like some minimal level gets like becomes this like standard, right? Right. Like, like right, the standard that like women have to live up to for what it means for them to be like a decent right. human being, Tomorrow's right? Like so I think it's just low. like. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and if like if they meet it, it's like they're amazing. It's like, actually, no, you've just like met like the 
and a mom. And if you do anything, I mean, it's like this with patriarchy. It's like this with racism. It's like this with any of the isms, right? If you do anything to undermine the system, you're not acting in your own self-interest. Right. Right. Like you're going against your own self-interest, which makes it really hard to, for you to do it. But also other people are like, why are you doing that? Right. <laughs> like, because you're not, it's not just right. your self-interest. You're like, a, you're, you're damaging other right. men's right. self-interest. who are going to fight you to keep what they have. Right. 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 Because right. even like right. Oko, like wanting Essie back, like his mom was what? Like, why would you want somebody like her back? Right? Like, what do you? Why are you like even fighting for this like relationship? Because like she clearly doesn't deserve to have a man like you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that's the other like thing about. I was thinking about this in terms of like my own family and like the men in my family. It's like we're all invested and complicit in patriarchy, right? There's like all these ways in which, like, when I was talking about my brother getting praised, it's all like the women in my family praising him, right? It's not the men, right? It's like he's sort of getting all this praise for like doing, you know, what a parent should do. And I feel like it's also like the investment that like women a lot of the times have in like continuing these like patriarchal structures. So mm -hmm. maybe that's a place to end since Todd's like showing at something in his wrist. I don't up. think it's an actual watch. I've changed. Watch. I've changed. <laughs> Tell your woman to shut up. Uh, no, just kidding. Oh, 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 come on now. Ho, ho, ho. Just kidding. That was a backstage signal. God, that was sharp. Wow. Listen, we spend a mm. whole hour talking about how, you know, men suck. Really, it's about the patriarchy, wow. not about men. It's about, so. it's about the patriarchy. It's about the patriarchy. Oh, my God. Uh, well, that was fun. <laughs> not for all of us. <laughs> oh Sad, my I hope gosh. you got lots of lessons about what to actually do differently. Um. <laughs> all, the t all the time. All the time. Make oh sure gosh. you get your first wife's consent for you to marry a second person. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! I would never do that. I have, I have enough trouble trying to keep one wife happy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, we fair. all know happy wife, happy life. Happy so. life, yes. <laughs> all right, we're gonna go around and talk a little bit about what's been, uh, what we've been enjoying, reading, watching, listening to, eating, whatever it is. Uh, Crystal, you want to start us off? Yeah. So I don't know who my real friends are anymore because it took me so long. It took me three seasons, or this show being out for three seasons, which is basically three years, for me to know that Sweet Magnolias on Netflix, have y'all heard of it? Yes. It's Sorry. so good. I'm one of you, one of those friends. <laughs> it's so good. I started watching Sweet Magnolias probably a week and a half ago. And like I said, it's three seasons and I'm already done. I'm like, when is the next season coming out? It's such a good show. It's such a good show. It's basically about uh, three three women who they are friends in childhood, and they are friends now in adulthood. And it kind of it, it it's each it tells it shares um, their lives and you know their loves, their challenges, their triumphs, and then also um, they do some stuff together. I don't want to spoil this show actually, but it's just it's just such a good show. It's a drama show on Netflix, and it's just really good and. You know, I have been avoiding watching it because um, it uh, one of the the actresses in it is Heather Hadley, who is a singer, um, who is a really wonderful singer. She sang "Emotional Roller Coaster." I think yeah. that's her. Um, and so she's a really good singer. And I was like, "Is she, is she gonna be a good actress?" But then I forgot that she got her start on Broadway, right? And then she's also a formerly trained vocalist. And so she's also a great actress. And I was going to try to have a critique like they didn't let her sing enough. But then that, would, that, that wouldn't have been good. Like, so this is really about her being an actress. And she is phenomenal. So that's one thing that I did. I watched Sweet Magnolias. And then um, I went to see this phenomenal exhibit at the Field Museum here in Chicago called Native Truths, Our Voices, Our Stories. And it's a wonderful exhibit that explores Native American life, culture, and history. But it's different in the, in, the um, in terms of museum exhibition because the curators and the voice of interpretation are um, Native folks, right? And so typically in a museum exhibit, you get the curator of the exhibit choosing the artifacts and then also interpreting them. Uh, but the, the focus of this exhibit or the method for this exhibit was community curation. 
And so um, you have the opposite, right? And so you have folks from various uh, uh, um, groups around the Americas, not just the United States, but um, the Americas, exploring um, what it means to be Native and Indigenous, and then also the culture, the politics, et cetera, around those explorations. And it was just really wonderful to listen, learn, and to hear those voices in that way, especially in an institution and in a context as traditional as the Field Museum. So it was really groundbreaking for what for what it is and what it does. And so here in Chicago, do you know if it's gonna be? Yeah, do you know if it's gonna be out for a while, Crystal? It's been out. It's been up. You know what? I think actually, um, this it, I think it's a permanent exhibition. So, but oh, um, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah. Todd, I'll let you get your thing, but quickly. And we can totally have this conversation offline, Crystal. I am curious about whether you think Sue Ragnoli is kind of puts forth this like kind of post-racial kind of like world in some ways. Uh, so I'm just curious about what you think about that. And we can so, chat about did you it. Say like, steel <laughs> ma- did you say Steel Magnolia? Oh, sorry, not sweet- Steel Magnolia. Sweet, sweet Magnolia. Sweet okay. Magnolia. It's a whole yes. different ballgame. Yes. yes. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's playing off of that because it's also just. You know, right. like southern women like yeah. right so anyway so we're right exactly yes. Right. yes todd what do you got uh real quick i just wanted to say to everyone if you if you like this book changes i would recommend two other books um by uh black women african writers nervous conditions by uh sitsi Demberenga and so long a letter by mariama ba and they're published about around the same time early 90s and they also deal with like relationships marriages um or leaving like basically the this condition of the modern woman so i would recommend those um the book that i want to recommend or that i'm reading right now that i want to recommend is um shannon gibney's new book uh the girl i am was and never will be which I'm almost finished, which I have about 30 pages left. I bought this at Uncle Bobby's Bookstore in Philadelphia, <laughs> which was fun to go there. Um, but this is a, it's a really great book. I really love it. You know, it's about the experience of um, a person who was adopted um, by a white family. And, and, and she's the book really explores the, um, the lost possibilities of uh, an adopted person's life. Um, the life they could have had if they had not been adopted, if they'd stayed with their first family, the life that they have had and the life that they could have if like all of this were connected, all aspects of their life were connected in ways that maybe it's hard for us to imagine they could be. So like it's a speculative memoir. So there's things that happen in the book, like there's wormholes and stuff like that. And um, there's time travel. There's all this sort of stuff that happens in it, which is, makes it into the kind of memoir like I've never read before. And I just yeah. really like it a lot. So Cool. Thanks, Adam. Shannon is a local author. So yay. Cheers to that. Um, so mine actually also has a Ghanaian connection. But the book that I want to recommend is Open Water by Caleb Azumba Nelson, who's a, a British writer. born to Ghanaian parents and it's just like this really beautifully written book and the whole thing is like really interesting because it's supposed to be like a whole long letter to like the narrator's love so it's all of the second person there's a lot that I didn't really get in terms of some of the cultural references that he's talking about but I what I really appreciated was kind of I think like the heart of it was kind of his descriptions of like how difficult it is to like feel vulnerable in one's body particularly as like a black person kind of living in like contemporary London and how hard it is to like share that feeling of vulnerability, even with like people who have that same experience, right? That it's like actually difficult to share that and difficult to open up to like what that feels like. And I feel like he has like, these like beautiful paragraphs are like, trying to get at that, right? And trying to get at like why it's so difficult to like have intimacy because it's like hard to like open up to and like talk about that kind of like vulnerability. So Oof. yeah, definitely recommended. Um, it's not a super plot-driven book, <laughs> but you know, it's like, <laughs> but it's really beautiful, and I feel like it's just one of like the well-written books that I've read in a while. Um, all right, so our next book is called Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, um, and like the brief description that we read, that kind of seems like a murder mystery, kind of thinking about families, thinking about migration, thinking about all of these things that we like to talk about, and potentially, I think Crystal mentioned that it might be. Uh, a Hulu series or yeah. being in consideration for Fashion. one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we hope to read it and have a conversation about the book before that comes out. So 
as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where podcasts are. Thank you so much for listening. And we're sending big virtual hugs to everyone. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip recorded in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Chicago, Illinois. The show was written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatur, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. The next book we're going to talk about is Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. This is another one being made into a television show. So if you want to read it with us before that comes out, here's your chance. And finally, a big shout out to my friend Nathan Hill, whose new novel, Wellness, was chosen by Oprah for her book club a couple weeks ago. You should check it out and read it along with 10 million of you, yours and Oprah's closest friends. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Music.